Yo, hi. This week on the podcast, we have got a mashup of the the best bits from the last twenty five episodes. So we're I the... better be in there. Well, you're in the last twenty five episodes. If I'm not in there, I'm... I will shoot. Pew, you're dead. <sighs> Jamie. You're not dead. Right, so what we're going to do now, um, actually, this week, what we've been doing this week, I'm trying to think, oh, Jamie did a GCSE. Um, it was a mock exam. No, it was a GCSE. It was a mock exam for GCSE. You got a GCSE result through the post, an actual GCSE result. Yeah, but it's still a mock exam. Because <laughs> you get to do it again? Yeah. Okay, well, she did a real GCSE and she got a D in year nine, which I think is incredible. So that's what's, what's been happening this week. Um, yeah, we're gonna have a listen to these, last, the best bits from the last 25 episodes, and I'm interested to see which are my favorites. I'd be interested to hear who your favorites are and yours. Me, I'm my favorite. See you in a bit, bye. We love a net and we love a jet. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of pure frustration, chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory matters. You know what? If you were going to send out one message to the world that would be your anthem for um, survival, um, what would it be? Probably not follow the general parenting rules. Um, I don't sweat anything now. If, if I don't think it works for Jamie, then it doesn't work for Jamie. I don't care if 99% of the parents out there think that's what you should do. If it doesn't work for my child, it doesn't work for my child. So I just think, yeah, so there's, there's nothing out there that you have to do. As long as you love your child and your child's happy and you're happy, and just do what you need to do for them. What about um, three three tips that people could take away and apply to their life that you've you've found useful with Jamie? Give your child space. Mm-hmm. Don't pressure them. If if they're upset and something's happening and you need to find out what it is, don't try and pressure them into telling you. I always find with Jamie that when she's ready, he'll tell me what's wrong. Um, messenger apps are fantastic. So. If they can type, sometimes that's the best way to communicate with your child if they don't want to talk. Yeah. So I, I, I messenger, we use messenger all the time. Um, and just, it's really hard to not get stressed. But I try and keep that in the forefront of my mind all the time. Don't get stressed with this because if you're stressed as a parent and they see it, the children see it and it makes things worse. So, so from what I'm hearing then, a, g- a good few tips there. One would be when you're out, I guess, assess the, the place you're in and try and put, put the person, you know, it, a block between. Yeah. Um, look out for the telltale signs because I'm sure they all yeah. display some form of behaviour before they're, they're going to bolt um, and use distraction. Um, lock Definitely. your windows and doors, have clever places yeah. to hide them. Yeah. Hide the keys. <laughs> yeah, that's really useful. Any, anything you want to say before we go? Um, I think the major thing that I always say to people is, if your child is being diagnosed or has just been diagnosed, that just to remember that they're the same child that you had before you got that diagnosis. And yeah. I think that's what kind of got me through when Riley was diagnosed, that he isn't going to change. Like, he's going to stay the same way that I always knew him. But having 
autism on him just makes him that little bit different and it's just something that you work around so I think just always remember that they're always going to be the same child that you had beforehand because I think it's a very very hard um, diagnosis to get do you know yes yeah, absolutely. And I think if, that's if, brilliant. And if people don't want the diagnosis, I think they need to be told the benefits of having a diagnosis. And what do you see um, those as being? Well, you are, the rules change. Do you know the police? They do the autism stuff. They want to know if you're autistic or not. Yeah. If you're arrested or involved with the police in any, have to be involved in a police investigation, you tell them you're autistic because they're trained in how and in like lying and this that and the other and the police i believe i think worked out that autistic people can come across like they're guilty yeah and they're not so they so if you tell them you're autistic they're aware yeah so if you do something that may be perceived as that you're lying they might go he's autistic we have to consider it also if you're autistic and you're involved with the police you can choose an adult to be present yeah. So say if I was arrested, I could say I want my mum there. Yeah. And she has to go, and they can't stop it. And, this, and you know, I've got, and that's brilliant. She can't contribute. Mm-hmm. She can't say anything. But she could be there. Yeah. So for other people that are maybe going through diagnosis or a journey of some sort related to sensory processing disorders, what would you say? Don't sweat it. Probably say. You don't, well, you don't need to do all the things that you think you do. You don't need to get married. You don't need to have this. You don't need to do that. A lot of people get worked up on what they consider to be what people do when they grow up, which is what happens with your kids. You grow up as kids and you say, I'm going to get a girlfriend, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have a house, I'm going to have a, a good job. <clears throat> and, have this, and everybody gets to a point where they realise actually all these things aren't going to happen Yeah. and I suppose with autistic people it can take a lot longer for it to happen and I would probably say do you know what as long as you earn enough to survive and eat and do what you want it's all you need Yeah. all you need don't get worked up on the extras everything else will fall into place and then what would your communication tips be? I think first it would be Accept that you have the condition and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think just being honest. So if some, so for example, I would never say I'm fine unless it's a code word. Yeah. Um, But unless I genuinely am fine. Yes. Because if you don't, if you don't let people know about your symptoms I'm not saying you describe them all every time but saying oh it's a bit of a rough day but I'm doing okay that communicates what's needed so I tend to say be honest Mm -hmm. where possible end on a positive Mm -hmm. that helps people accept it much better so it may be I can't do that but I can do this yeah so that way you communicate the wider picture because one of the pitfalls is if we only communicate the negatives and the can'ts, mm-hmm. which in a way is what we most need them to understand. Yes. But if that's all we communicate, we at the end up not being able to understand it because they can't see that they haven't been shown the bigger picture. Yes. Yeah. 
That makes and, also, yeah, and, and also sticking to one key point at a time. So Can you, you offer any tips for other females that are thinking about going and pursuing diagnosis or questioning their place in the world and thinking, is there something, you know, that I need to get checked out? Um, as, as explained previously, even though a healthcare professional might have read the theory about autism, they might not know how to apply that. So be aware that you might have to talk a bit about your masking. Yeah. Um, so make sure you have an understanding GP. Yes. Uh, re- read a lot of books about females and autism if not for your own comfort, but also to take to the doctors with you. Yeah. So you can relate your experiences with those in a book. Yeah. I do think it is important to tell people about your condition. Even if they don't believe you, I think you've at least done a tiny bit in making someone in the world a bit more aware of autism, and that does contribute to society. So I think in summarise for me then your your top tips for puberty, handling puberty and girls. Be prepared. Prepare in advance. It doesn't matter if they're five. It doesn't matter if they're seven. You can start talking about these things. Um, there's nice, pretty ways to dress it up to little kids. Yeah. Use social stories, use books, use images. Um, there's loads of stuff on YouTube. I mean, in this day and age, you can, you can find anything online. You can. Yeah, just prepare well and well in advance to what you would a typical child because I think you need to keep revisiting it because you don't know when, when your child's going to start their periods. Yeah. So definitely prepare, prepare, prepare. Lots of visuals, um, lots of practising. Like I said, I wish I practised with her with pads before she started mm-hmm. so that she had an idea what to do. Um, definitely make a puberty pack in advance. That's something I wish we'd done. Yeah. Although lucky enough that she started at home. Um be prepared that they're not going to be like a typical period. They're not necessarily going to be light. They're not necessarily going to be every six months. Prepare. If you prepare for the worst mm-hmm. and you get the best, then it's a bonus, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And, and I was also thinking. I, I, I wish people weren't scared by the pill. Yes. If the pill's not right for a person, then the GP will decide that. Yes. It's all based on medical stuff. So don't be scared. If that is the last option because it's our last option yeah but if that's the option that you need then don't be scared to go and speak to a gp about it like how, how do you as a parent know whether that child's in the right setting and what things should should be in place for them i know that's a very general question because it's going to depend on each individual but anything that you can offer the thing is you've got to arm yourself with information get to know the system and if you find it difficult because it is a, it's almost like you've got to learn a different language isn't it once you've got a child with autism yeah and this that you've got to go through and the system that you have to navigate it's almost like how we can we make their life more difficult you know let's put this system in place so what you've got to do is try and learn as much as you possibly can before and before you go to a meeting write things down because you tend to forget because you get so emotional i know that when i go to talk about angelo i'm not the same as when i'm speaking on someone's behalf and and the reason is you're so emotionally so emotionally attached to your son so write things down before you go in there and take somebody with you who knows the system, who knows how to navigate it. Um, you know, it could be a support, somebody from a support group or somebody that you know who's been through the system. That's why I'm creating charity champions as well. So they've been through it. They know, you know, they know how to navigate the system. Don't believe everything that the local authority tell you either. Um, you know, there's a lot of cuts going on around there. And that's 
would be my thing is just like go in there with you know what you want and don't back down. And as I say, if parents shout the loudest, they'll get what they want in the end. So if you want your son or daughter to go to a specific school, just keep fighting till they till they get there and help someone to make sure that they do get to that specific relationship. So if, if you were speaking to uh, another parent and saying, OK, you've not got your occupational therapist yet, or that may never happen, but you want your child to have this in the school, what? how would you suggest they approach it with the teacher to convince them to give it a go? What, you know, if you were to say, mention these points or pitch it this way, and you might have more success. I would suggest... Writing, writing things down before you approach school so that you've got it settled in your head for yourself, even if you don't show those notes to the teacher yes. or the Senko, so that you have clear in your head why you think chewing helps your child. I think it's always better if the child can say it in their own words. Yep. So I need, when I chew, it helps me focus, concentrate, uh, it helps me block out perhaps smells mm-hmm. or sounds other children are making. So the positive things, it helps me block out these. It helps me be less anxious. It helps me keep my mouth busy. It keeps my hands busy. And it helps me listen to what you're saying. Mm. So very concrete and very, because I, again, because I'm an occupational therapist, very functional. Yeah. And teachers like that as well. If, if you're telling them you need to fidget or chew, to help with a specific task, and here we're talking about academic attainment and education, mm-hmm. it's much more effective, it's much more powerful. Yeah. And I think where teachers struggle is if they suddenly get bombarded with a lot of sensory information, because some teachers have sensory training or might have done a bit or might mm-hmm. have done some autism training, some sensory is part of that. Yeah. Some teachers might have a special interest. They might well have a child of their own who's got additional needs. Yes. Or they might know somebody and have a best friend who's uh, an occupational therapist or a physio or somebody with those interests. But a lot of teachers don't. Mm-hmm. So bam- I think they often feel bamboozled with a lot of sensory information. Yeah. So I would suggest keep it very functional. If teachers have got a, a query about how effective chewing is to perhaps do their own internet search mm-hmm. um, to back up what the parent's saying ask for a trial period yes so this this is the chew i'd like to use in school i would also strongly suggest that parents always pick one the color of the school uniform yeah. so if your sweatshirt's red go for a red bangle or a red pendant mm-hmm. my experience is still that schools are more reluctant to have pendants even though they've got a breakaway class yeah and a bangle yeah I would also say to parents to tell school that they've instructed their child to keep it out of sight when it's not being used. So it's not a distraction. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So in terms of what what you've, because obviously you're now connected with quite a few um, occupational therapists are recommending you and other things like that. And you've also um, spoken to a lot of sleep experts and things. What, What are the practical tips that you could offer um, to our community to help get a bedtime routine, to help get children settled at night? Well, I mean, what they they call it like the golden hour. So, it, again, it's like these children that have these sensory challenges or issues is literally trying to have this bedtime routine like a, a bath, not too hot before bedtime, um, dim lights in the bedroom, 
also you know, reading and just that calm kind of um you know environment that you can create uh, with your child yeah. and then literally um what the sleep uh, consultants are saying is then literally you know just having half an hour with your child and then literally fidget bum then zips up and then that child knows it's then time for sleep yeah and I guess it's like anything with that that you probably have to work at it you probably have to be consistent and keep going exactly um, so yeah. the, your biggest fear about telling your mum is upset now yeah <laughs> so I'm hearing from this I'm thinking from my kids point of view I know when they tell me something that's upsetting them it can quite often upset me because you you love them and mm -hmm. you don't want anything to be upsetting them so what I'm taking away from this which I'm going to apply to my parenting is try and not let my own emotions um not not show but to, to that level where you would be worried about telling me something for fear of upsetting me because if I would hate my kids not to tell me something for that yeah. reason so it makes me think that's something I need to control so that they know that they're not going to get that kind of reaction I guess um, yeah. so parents out there that's a really great tip what would you say um you know if you were on one of the sensory support chats that we've we've done in the past and that VIC yeah. members will be able to still do um and someone wants to talk to you about mental health issues what advice would you give them what would be your tips for trying to keep mentally healthy um I would say um try and let it out somehow how you're feeling mm -hmm. whether that's writing it down or writing a poem or drawing a picture or dancing or painting or anything like that just try and get things out of your head okay because you can't keep everything in um sometimes i before bed sometimes i just write down worries and it's just a way of getting them out yeah but then sometimes you can't pinpoint those things, so it's finding other ways to deal with those. But then things just like looking after yourself in general, even if that's watching your favourite film one night of the week or having a bath or something like that. Yeah. Just taking time, not just sitting there worrying. Um, do something to look after yourself physically. Okay. It'll improve you mentally as well. Yeah. Okay, so how how old were you when you figured out that you had a PDA? Uh, I think it was about 28. Okay. So it was like about three, four years ago. So if, if there was someone watching this sitting thinking, oh, do I have it? What sort of things would you say are common, common signs of uh, it? Definitely the need to avoid everything. It can be really subtle um, in the way it is. Like it, it might look like executive functioning. Mm. And you might have that as well, which can be extra confusing. But it's basically like you, every time you try and do anything, even things you want to do, like you can't or you get panicking and you can't do it. Okay. Um, so, well, I avoid things. Most yeah. people do everything they can to avoid things that they don't want to do. And sometimes I avoid things I do want to do, which probably tells me that I don't really want to do them at that point because I'm maybe not in the mood for whatever so when and I think we all do that so when does that stop and PDA start like why how would you know that you're just a, an a, a neurotypical person avoiding a situation versus someone that's got PDA what makes it different it is hard to tell because sometimes like 
that broadly a term artistic demand avoidance. Okay. Which is when the demand avoidance is like on the par with PDA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the main reason is you, with artistic demand avoidance, you can usually tell what there is that's stopping it. And yeah. if that's resolved, like then they're able to do it. Okay. Um, like if there's a sensory issue causing you to stop from having a bath, mm-hmm. once like the sensory issue is gone, you can usually have a bath fine. Yeah. Um, there's nothing else like executive functioning stopping it. But with PDA, it's like it varies a lot. Sometimes you can just go and have a bath, and other times you like, can't have a bath. It wow. varies a lot as well. Yeah. Um, with artistic demand avoidance, it's usually like nearly always the same. Um, whereas PDA, it just varies. One day you can do something perfectly fine, and the other time you just can't at all. So let's um, let's talk coping strategies then. Um, in, in terms of practical tips that people could take away that they could implement if they're like you, what would you yeah. suggest? Um, I think there's not loads, mostly like try not to plan too much, make sure you've got a get out cause, uh, try not to be too hard on yourself if you can't like make something up, if you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, introduce quite a lot of novelty into it. Okay. So if you're going out somewhere, like maybe decide, like I might go to a shop and get a cake like, as a sort of reward, but also as a novelty factor. Okay. So if you were going to say to people then five things that are really positive about autism, what would you say? <laughs> oh, five things. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Um, well, it's a really great sense of uh, autism community that I've found. Um, I really, uh, secondly, I guess the big one is uh, my, I really love having special interests. Yeah. Uh, I really love things like Doctor Who. I think a lot of people with autism or not feel like maybe some things are embarrassing to still enjoy as an adult, but being able to really love something like, uh, you know, Doctor Who superheroes or something um, is, is like a really, it, really positive thing in my life. One of um, the diagnoses of autism is positive in terms of like self-understanding. Yeah. I think maybe it comes along with any sort of um, minority or marginalised group, but um, you sort of, it sort of allows you to explore yourself a bit more. And I, have, I feel like I have quite a, a good level of self-knowledge and self-understanding that helps me in all sorts of things that aren't necessarily to do with autism because I know sort of what things are, are right for me and. What, what's and we've, we've done a few um, sensory support surgeries with Chewy Gem where we're helping people talk about a range of different things. And one of the things that you volunteered to talk about was gay and, and coming out as gay. And you got quite a few calls um, about that and chats about that, didn't you? And I know that you, you helped them a lot. So what kind of things did you say and do that we could offer to the people listening to this that would be of real help to people thinking about coming out? Um, I just explained to them that, that, that um, it's a very brave thing to do yeah. and you shouldn't rush into it at all. Like, um, you need to do it at your own pace. Like, uh, you don't need to listen to friends or go off how other people came up, um, came out or, um, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you just need to uh, do it at your own pace. Yeah. And um, I've told quite a few people to uh, write a letter. Okay. Because it's a lot easier than talking to people face to face, and obviously most of the people I've been talking to have autism as well. Yes. 
so they've been worried about the eye contact yeah and finding the right words so i've just said uh, write a letter if you struggle with eye contact yeah and struggle with finding the right words in some situations because it's a lot easier you can just leave it on um, your bedside table and then uh, go out for the day yeah and your family will read it is have you got any strategies that if you feel that panic coming or you feel a meltdown coming can you ever stop it from happening yeah, um, I've learned how to stop panic attack now. Um, and there's the uh, five thing technique. And what you've got to do is you've, uh, you've got to list out loud five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can feel, and two things you can smell. Okay. And, um, and uh, that means you're thinking about other things. And then... Um, 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 and after you've um, um, you've uh, listed all those things, um, yeah. chances are um, your mind will be on something else. So um, that was that was a really good strategy for handling anxiety. Have you got any strategies for handling meltdowns and, and what meltdowns look like for you? Um, I'd say um, try to avoid the situation if possible. Um, um, explain to someone that you need to leave yeah. um, and the situation maybe with a text or something just be like I'm struggling can we leave can we go somewhere quiet I need to calm down yeah yeah so that um, goes back to what you were saying before about that communication that if you've prepared the people you're with to understand how you are and that this is yeah. a possibility so that when you say I need to leave they take you seriously then that's going to yeah. help and it's all about incorporating what we call a sensory diet, which I love saying, yeah. it's a lovely little term. And basically what this means is um, those with autism in particular have this sort of this sort of spiral wave of having really high levels of activity mm -hmm. to the point where you're not actually getting anything done. You are being quite unproductive because you've got so much energy and so much activity, you're kind of losing concentration losing focus. Um, so you're at the peak, but you're not actually being productive. Yeah. And then at the bottom of that graph, you've got that complete crash, like the shutdowns of just not being able to do anything and also being quite unproductive. And the sensory diets, which we can incorporate in any person's life, regardless of whether they have autism or not, mm. is actually just bringing those peaks closer together and actually, actually making them much more manageable. So you're not ever getting to the point of being so high that you are being unproductive mm -hmm. you're having still a, a good level of energy but you're actually using it in a in a great way mm -hmm. and then you're never crashing to the point where you're not being able to do anything you're only dipping to okay. a calm or relaxed level so yeah. like when you're going to sleep that sort of thing okay and it's just being able to kind of control those sort of fluctuations in activity level so it's finding activities that. Uh, or sensory things that either calm you to bring you down from that high level of activity or that stimulate you to bring you up to a normal level of activity. So for you, what, what helps? What keeps you what keeps you on track? So um, I definitely think that I um, overanalyze things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we were saying earlier about if there's an incident, I will play that over and over in my head. Could I, should I have done this? Should I have done that? Um, and that becomes really exhausting. Yeah. So what I try and um, do, and, I'm, and all what I say, I try and do, and believe me, 
it is never easy and it you know and I have days where I don't do it and I can't do it and I have a disaster but ultimately I try and do these steps to make myself in a better place so when I start to overanalyze things I have to try and say to myself stop Mm -hmm. wait one moment you know is what I'm thinking is this realistic so try and look at the evidence is there evidence to back up what I'm thinking or is this just me with my emotions and the emotions have built up and that I'm kind of making it more than what it is mm-hmm. uh, and overanalyzing it. Talking of the, the control thing, my, my daughter has a fair bit of anxiety as well and one of the things that the teacher got to do with her um, is usually at night is when all her anxiety comes out so we had a whiteboard and we would have to write down what was worrying her and if if it was something that she couldn't do anything about we wrote it in red and if it was something that she could influence we wrote it in green and that really really helped her because then all the red stuff well you can't control any of that so get that bit out of your brain and now we can put a plan in place for the green stuff that you can influence Um, and that, that really helped her is there anything that you would want to say as a kind of final message to everyone? Um, just, you know, with your children, listen to your children, you know, and this, a big thing is listen to other autistics. Yeah. You know, if you want to know something, if you're a neurotypical typical parent and you don't know what's happening or you don't know how to cope, speak to autistics, you know, they'll always be happy to to list to listen and to answer questions you know if you if you want to learn then that's that's really good but I definitely think that you you know ask adults that are autistic because they've been there and they know what it felt like um so yeah I think that's the biggest thing is just accept your child for who they are um, (coughs) and if you are struggling ask and you know autistics because they 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 can give you the best answer i think yeah absolutely um so from from the point of view for our viewers if you were going to say to them like a takeaway message for your mental health that you practice that you find beneficial what would it be it would be self-care so think about yourself don't be ashamed that you need a little bit extra help yeah, so it would just be to, to think about yourself sometimes and sometimes you've got to put yourself first above others and think about that. What stops you putting yourself first? I, I find it a lot of peer pressure. Okay. Um, of needing to keep up with others. Yeah. Um, be out, be able to do stuff, all that. Um, so actually, you know, stepping back and saying, no, I need I need time to me um, mm. or this isn't healthy for me. Yeah. Um, things like that. What about anyone else that is, is for whatever reason, facing going from being able-bodied to being wheelchair-bound? Any was, any kind of takeaway message on how they can get their head around that? It would be, like, don't see it as a, your barrier. It's your freedom. Um, if you like, If I didn't have my chair, I would be bed-bound. So the chair gives me a quality of life. Yeah. And it's remembering that it's not... It's not this barrier that stops you doing stuff. It's, it's your freedom that gets you out there and doing the things. And it's not your fault that things aren't maybe accessible and stuff. It's not, that's nothing to do with you. That's to do with society, really. Yeah. 
Okay. And, and, uh, last bit of tips is if there's somebody feeling that they are, uh, actually male gender or, or the opposite, um, what's your advice to them? Get help from somebody, whether you speak to your GP, get referred to a gender clinic. If you're at school, speak to your guidance teacher, people's sport teacher, whatever. If you can speak to your parents, speak to your parents or friends or whoever. Don't keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Actually, the more you talk about it, maybe explore it, the easier it gets. Yeah. And things are, things can still be hard nowadays with it, but there's still positives and a lot of support out there. If, if you were going to say three things to the people that listen to help them have that positive mindset, what three tips would you give them? Never think negative. As there's a reason you are here. And you are special the way you are. Make sure you enjoy life with a smile. As you never know what can happen in an instant. Find something you love and never stop. doing it there is always a way i know that i I see this a lot in our community so we see lots of people kind of in our group going so and so's been to school today and the class teacher has not allowed him to have his fiddle toy or his chewy or sit on his vibrating pad or you know whatever tool either the parent has said the child needs or um maybe an occupational therapist i don't know but the class teacher's like not allowing it um <laughs> yes so and obviously you then get parents feeling very upset because they don't feel that their child's needs are being taken into account so what tips would you give them for approaching that and solving it with the teacher in the school yeah i, I suppose that i mean and I'm, and I'm really not just talking about education here a, any type of development and understanding of people relies on an understanding of a relationship that allows trust, mm-hmm. whereby that that trust is reciprocal. Yeah, I'm going to open up and let you in on what happens, what works best, where my particular variables are, mm-hmm. and in return, you're going to let me know what that can look like in the classroom and where my difficulties and perhaps my fears are, mm-hmm. and how you know how we can both overcome those things. Yeah. Um, Conversations, regular and consistent conversations mm-hmm. between teacher and pupil, mm-hmm. pupil and uh, parents and carers, and parents and carers with both mm-hmm. is as required. And I, and I don't mean like structured. I just mean there's an opportunity all the time to to kind of talk about what's going well and what's not. Coaching and helping one another. Yeah. Because it's you know if. If you think of the child, obviously the child needs needs to be fixed, but that 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 teacher also has twenty nine other children. Yeah. So how best can we 
look at that variable within the context of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. What are your fears? How mm -hmm. do you go about it? How can you get support? Where can you get a bit more reading? How mm -hmm. do you understand? And, and, and what can we try incrementally that, you know, so if you look at the understanding of these fidget spinners, mm. for example. Yeah. You know. Which were banned in uh, every uh, school. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah. <laughs> so, it's uh, a whole other conversation. Yeah. But we look at we look at the understanding of a child who comes in and says, yeah, but this helps me work better. Mm -hmm. As opposed to a child who comes in and says, well, you know, we're going to have a chat with my parent and carer here about the understanding because of my complex needs mm -hmm. and how that works to me. The teacher still has, at the end of the day, the understanding of, I'm allowing you, mm -hmm. but I'm not allowing you. Mm -hmm. Now, in a, in a class of 30, and we say, you know, uh, uh, kids who are seven, eight or nine, mm -hmm. that becomes quite a challenge, doesn't it? Yeah. So I suppose what the teacher then, the, 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 um, the parent can do to help support that is the understanding of, what can I do? What can I explain to you? to explain to the class without saying this child is different, mm -hmm. what is it that we can understand about the relationship of the child mm -hmm. and all the other children to make it seem like, well, that you need that mm -hmm. and I don't need that because I'm not that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? I, I would I would challenge a lot of parents and carers um who who are um who have children with a, a specific need to ask the, the particular teacher at that given time, how well the rest of the class understand mm -hmm. and um, or even know. I was going to say about the children's additional yeah. need. Okay, and some parents and carers maybe don't want people to know. And yes. what I would say with uh, parents and carers, the biggest help that you can, I suppose, that you can do is is you, is you can allow teachers intermittently to try different things out. Mm -hmm. Now. I don't mean in terms of, oh, my child's not a social experiment, mm. but if we're going to talk about getting it right, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen overnight. No. And in order, you have to be willing to accept that whether you like it or not, mm -hmm. your, your one child is your most important thing, yes. but as the teacher, all 30 are mine. Yes. So it will be a trial and error. Yeah. But what we can do is we can allow things to go on that are that are transparent, that are clear, yeah. and I have a clear time frame. So yeah. don't be frightened to go back. Uh -huh. How did it go? Where did it work? How, what kind of things did we get? As well as asking the pupil. Yes. What tips could you offer people who've also got children that are very oral sensitive and can't tolerate certain foods? What are oh, your strategies? We're still we're still working on that one. That's a work in progress. Yeah. Um, we have taken on on board what the OT said about using. Um, chewing before meals okay um and that's really difficult to control in school because i've tried to explain to them that if he chews his mouth is better prepared for him to to yeah. eat his meals and he's less sensitive um okay. to to certain textures um it's that's, about sorry just so i understand that so the theory behind that is that if he's gone through the motion of chewing then his mouth won't be as sensitive when it comes to eating yeah, okay. yeah, something along those lines. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't understand it fully myself, um, but it's about yeah. They were using vibrations, um, so vibrating toothbrushes around his mouth and his lips, mm -hmm. um, making sure that he's not really, really hungry, um, 
and because that, that can also that feeling stops him from wanting to eat as well. How funny! Because so, you would have thought yeah, it'd be the other way around. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't understand that. You could hear his stomach growling with hunger, and yet he he just gone past that point. Mm -hmm. So we have to do smaller meals. So it's really important that he has snacks throughout the day yeah. and they're not healthy snacks now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a case of getting in food so that his stomach doesn't shrink down as well. Yeah. Um, so if he, you know, I do try to put healthy things in there as well, but there are a lot of, you know, we, we are the exception to the healthy food rule at school, unfortunately. Um, and so if you were going to give a final kind of message to the world about your, I don't know, tips for surviving being an autism parent or for the benefits of it or an outlook on life, what would it be? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, you know, I could say about not doubting yourself because you know your parent, uh, you know your child better than anybody else. Um, and, and they don't come with a manual, so you do make mistakes. And the biggest thing that I've learned is you know okay you just learn from that mistake and move on yeah um but i would also say the biggest thing for me has been getting involved in support groups um yeah. and and i haven't physically gone and, and and got involved in them but i have got involved in ones online and they've been really really helpful good um you know sometimes even now years and years of dealing with sensory difficulties somebody will come up with a suggestion you think why did I not think of that yeah. so yeah that's probably my biggest tip is to get involved you know whether that's online or a physical group but yes so that you know you're not on your own yeah and you can swap chicken nugget stories yes <laughs> so what about in terms of um masking then I know um I want to talk about your tips for moving on from masking to showing yourself um how, how do you how do you achieve that what would you say to people to help them feel comfortable doing it a little bit and don't do it like me <laughs> <laughs> i was like i just went i went full out on my bag right i originally had a blue one and it had loads of colors on yeah right because that still was a little bit of not me and then i went for me meeting about my book and someone says oh it's blue your favorite color and i just looked at my stuff and i thought i've deliberately done this mm -hmm. because blue's for boys and girls have pink i thought well no well pink's my favorite color so this so i went back out and i bought my new bag and then i went and bought my ribbons and pink stuff i just thought i'm doing it again yeah it was still sneaking itself back in there to be this person i'm not yeah it's okay so then i, I would say that you need to just do it in little bits and like I'm kind of like all or nothing. When I found out that I was okay not to have, like to have these kind of things, mm. I just went and got them all. Yeah. Because it was like, oh God, I'm actually allowed this kind of stuff. Let's go and get it all. Yeah. And I got obsessed yeah. with fidget spinners and chews and everything. And then I just ended up buying them all. Oh. <laughs> so if there's someone listening right now who is either pregnant or is planning on becoming pregnant, what would be your kind of three tips for them for managing pregnancy? If you're diagnosed autistic, obviously mm -hmm. disclose um, and explain to any of your your birth um, professionals that are looking after you how you feel and what you need. Write out a birth plan, write out um, some kind of care plan as well, some kind of passport. Passports are really good um, because when you get into, into uh, dealing with medics, you end up telling the same story 50 million yeah. times. 
it's much easier to have it written down. So it's like the passports that I use with children, you know, my, my diagnosis is autism, anxiety disorder, dyspraxia, etc. Um, this is what I find difficult to deal with, how you can help me. It's those kinds of things. Um, so that would be one, would be to disclose. Uh, the second one would be read my book. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite helpful. Which is um, called From Here to Maternity, isn't it? it is. And you can get it on Amazon. You can, yes. Yeah. You can um and probably the third one would be seek out your tribe because I do have a Facebook group for, for mothers, autistic mothers. Um, we, I accept people who are pregnant mm-hmm. because there's a lot of information that, that they need. There's no yeah. point saying, oh, well, you can't join until you've had the baby. Um, so we've got 2,600 plus members. Fantastic. So I am massively proud of that. So well, you should be started two years ago with 12 members Very so nice. it's increased so I've actually got some extra admins in to help me now because I can't cope with the amount of the amount of people that are coming so look for your tribe read women's first-hand experiences and and use those when you go to your medical appointments and say well look I know this because someone has told me about this or someone's written about this mm-hmm. um, and just yeah just just get help just ask for help and support yeah people so if we take agoraphobia for example how do you manage that how do you overcome that what are your tips for people something that I was told that sort of when, when you when you're agoraphobic you sit and you think people are staring people are watching mm-hmm you know, people are assessing your every movement. Yeah. I did a task which was literally sit on a bench. Yeah. Or sit somewhere and just watch other people. Yeah. Watch what they do. Watch where they go. If someone looks, how long do they look for really? In You know, in my mind, it was people were staring. Yeah. Not just looking, people were staring. Yeah. And I can remember I was sat on this bench for about six hours. Wow. <laughs> just... Watching everybody, everybody that walked past, yeah. you know, if they gave me a look, how long did they look for? I used to count it. Yeah. Um, if people, you know, just walked past and didn't acknowledge, yeah. how many people actually did that? You know, and I had a tally chart of, of how many people looked, how many people looked for a long time, how mm-hmm. many people didn't look at all. Yeah. And in the end, I went home and I looked at the chart and it was like, well, I thought everyone would stare. Yeah. But really, there was only one person, but that was probably because I was staring at him. Yeah. <laughs> and all the rest sort of went about the business and didn't really pay attention. Yeah. You know, it was odd glances or a look, but yeah. then I'm looking at them. Yes. So they're going to look back. Yeah. You know, and, and that helped me sort of to realise that people were not staring. Yeah. You know, what I thought people were staring, they weren't. Yeah. They were looking, if that. Um, I still have my moments, I won't lie, where I sit and I do think people are staring. Yeah. But I'll do the same again. I will sit wherever I am for mm-hmm. maybe 10, 15 minutes and I'll just count mm-hmm. how many people. Yeah. And it sort of brings me back to a realisation of they're not. Yeah. Now, I know because you've done a few things or written a few things about this in the past or spoken about this in the past that there are some kind of myths around autism, I suppose, and some things that people might say that can be really annoying so what are your kind of biggest bugbears i mean it's understandable because um obviously not everyone can experience autism but it's still really frustrating um 
probably the most annoying thing to me, the most, actually this isn't even annoying, it gets me really angry is when people are like, oh, autism is caused by vaccines, autism is caused by X, and X is something that you really should not skip out when, like, you're raising a child. Like, I don't know, autism is caused by fruits or something. Just <laughs> stuff like that. Because it hurts people, and it also makes people think it's better to um, hurt your child, essentially, than have them have autism, even though autism isn't caused by those things. Because... I'd rather be alive and autistic than dead and not autistic. Yeah, that makes total sense. So, but there are still some people that believe autism has been caused by something. So how does that differ to what you believe? Um, I mean, obviously autism is caused by something, but I don't, what I mean by that is that you shouldn't, like, skip out with things on your child to try and make sure they don't get their autisms um like because to be honest i'd rather everyone have autism than everyone be hurt in some way because if that makes any sense yeah so you're meaning the people that maybe avoid getting the mmr vaccine because they think it might cause autism you're saying that that's a daft thing to do because you're putting them at risk of getting horrible diseases yeah, that's the sort of thing I mean. I've seen some other things like that, but it is mostly vaccines. Yeah, okay. Um, so when when you're feeling like it's coming, what other t- tactics or tips could you offer other people that help you stay in control? Um, one I think that could work for pe- most people is telling someone because then people understand yeah. Can try and help you. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, being and just if you know why you're about to have a meltdown, tell people that too. So because that can help them help you. Yeah. Um. So what what would be your tips for learning to heal and learning to be comfortable with yourself and love yourself and heal? You must, you must have a positive self image. You must. Wish loving kindness on yourself. You mustn't hate yourself. You're just you. How you do you do that? How well, do you, have- you must be neutral. Okay. You mustn't think you're God or think you're a devil. You just see yourself as an objective human being. You mustn't hate yourself because you can't do things and you can't relate to others. That's who you are. That's how you're made. You don't go attacking yourself. I have failed. I used to be like that. I used to be like that very much. I was much younger. But you've got to simply be with yourself in peace. I don't even know if it's accepting, it's just an experience of not having to hurt yourself because you feel you fail. Failure and success are relative values, everything's a relative value, you've got to have an an ongoing daily experience of yourself where you're neither succeeding nor failing, you're simply present. (laughs) So what did you think of that? 25 episodes? Can't believe it. Which was your favourite? Did you get a favourite from that? The one with me in it. I kind of had an idea that's what you were going to say. Um, we've had some amazing people on the show. It's hard like to me. <laughs> it's hard to believe we've had that many amazingly brilliant people on. Um, especially me. Especially you. The ones that stood out for me, um, I think probably Saskia, the OT, her podcast was incredible. She's got some great advice in there. But we've got our ambassadors. We've got Jaden, we've got Casper, we've got Katie. Um, 
rich. You've got every, oh, just so much content in there. And the best one is me. And the best one is Jamie. But I also really like the autistic genius one. How dare you? <laughs> Don't so, worry, I didn't actually hurt her. Let us know which you liked this week. So we'll see you next week. Bye bye. See ya. You know what?